0: In 2009, uh, that movie, Up in the Air, was nominated for six Academy Awards, Uh, Best Picture, Best Actor, my doppelganger George Clooney, uh, Best (laughs) Actress, you're laughing, Best Supporting Actress, and the 32-year-old writer and director, Jason Reitman, was nominated for uh, both of those categories as well. Uh, It is not a family-friendly film. Kudos to Jared Wells and our production team for editing that so that it was appropriate for worship. Not a family film, but it was a real timely film. 2009 it came out. Remember what was going on in this country in 2009? The last quarter of the fiscal year, 2008, the last three months, 1.5 million Americans were told they no longer had a job. And the opening scene uh, where those employees were talking about, how can you be firing me? Those weren't actually actors. Jason Reitman went out, he found some of those recently unemployed Americans, and he asked them, think about what you wish you would have said when you lost your job. And He got that on film. Now, the last guy, J.K. Simmons, he's an actor, the farmer's insurance guy. But I I thought that scene was a real good way of kind of setting up the tension that a lot of us feel when it comes to work. Because on the one hand, we know we need a job, we need an income, we got bills to pay, we got people we want to provide for. And so there's a real sense of loss and devastation, desperation for a lot of people when they end up unemployed. But on the other hand, there's this reality that for many people, they hate their jobs. And it's kind of summed up with that question that George Clooney asked J.K. Simmons' character at one point in their conversation. How much did they first pay you to give up on your dreams? This is what, not what you intended to do, it's not what you dreamt of doing, but you needed a job, you got it, and you've stayed there, but you're miserable, you're not excited about it, you're not passionate about it, and the truth is, every Sunday about 5 o'clock in the evening, you start to get this sinking feeling in the pit of your stomach because you recognize you've got five more days of working for the weekend in front of you. Now that's what people at other churches probably feel, but not at this church, I'm sure, Now, there's this interesting sort of paradoxical uh, experience that we have as it relates to work. Work is both a blessing and a curse. And so today, what we want to do is just talk about what does the Bible have to say about this very relevant topic? What does work mean for people who are serious about following after Jesus? The the Bible passage from Acts chapter 19 was was kind of interesting. There's uh, these silversmiths, they're making all of these... Uh, idols of the goddess Artemis, and then Paul comes along and Christianity starts to grow in uh, the city of Ephesus, and now nobody's buying these idols anymore, and it's bad for business. And so we see that there's a conflict sometimes between what's going on in the business world, what's going on in the marketplace, and what's going on as we try to follow after Jesus. And so that's that's what we want to be digging into. And we'll go all the way back to the beginning. Uh, I don't know if you ever thought about it this way. But the first picture, the first kind of snapshot that we get of God in the Bible is God is this exuberant and joy-filled worker. Do you ever think of God that way? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. That's how the Bible begins. Here's what God does on day one. Here's what God does on day two, et cetera, et cetera. Turn the page to Genesis chapter two. It's the seventh day. And let's read together what God does on the seventh day. It's on the screen. Read this out loud with me. On the seventh day... God had finished his work of creation, so he rested from all his work. God's a worker. We recite the Apostles' Creed on a pretty regular basis around here. We start off by saying, I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth, creator of heaven and earth. Part of what we're saying when we recite the Creed is we believe in a God who has a job to do. We believe in a God who is a worker, In this idea of a God who works. Is This part of what distinguishes or separates the God of the Bible from other gods that people might want to follow or worship. For example, you think about one of uh, the primary enemies of the nation of Israel in the Old Testament, it's the Babylonians. Last week, we talked about the importance of story, how we all have a story that we tell, that we buy into, that we try to make sense of our lives through this story, and the story we end up believing is really important. It shapes the way we live our lives, the way we view our lives. So we have a creation story as Christians, as followers of Jesus. The Babylonians had a creation story as well. It's called uh, from an ancient document called the Enuma Elish. And when you read through that, what you read about is this war that's going on between all the gods. Uh, Some of the gods over on one side, the other gods on the other side. The winning side was led by this god whose name was Marduk. And after Marduk wins this battle, he creates the heavens and the earth, by slicing one of the defeated gods in half and one half is the heavens and one half is the earth and then Marduk invites all the gods to live with him in this new world that he's created but the other I'm paraphrasing the other gods say I don't know Marduk this world that you've created looks like there's a lot of maintenance required it looks like it's going to be a lot of work we're not really interested and Marduk thinks oh you're right gods should not work I know we will create a lowly kind of subservient creature, human beings. And human beings will do all the work so the gods can rest. And that's the story that the Enuma Elish, the Babylonians believed about work is uh, drudgery, work is a grind, work is a drain, work is something only slaves should do. A very different story than what the God of the Bible has to say about work. It's not just Ancient kind of Near Eastern religions, Western religions do the same thing. The Greeks and Romans, you've probably heard of Pandora's box. Zeus gives to Pandora this box and says, whatever you do, don't open it. So, of course, Pandora opens the box and out comes everything that's wrong with the world. Out of Pandora's box comes death and decay and disease and cats. I everything that's... <laughs> I didn't read it very closely. I'm not sure it actually says cats. Some of you love cats. You're on the prayer list. Uh, (laughs) One of the things that comes out of Pandora's box is work. The Greeks and the Romans equate work with awful, awful things like death and disease. Again, a very different story than what the God of the Bible has to say about work. We read about a God who loves this creative work of taking nothing and creating all things. And human beings are created in the image of that God. Our work is supposed to be a reflection of that kind of God to the world around us. Let's think about the work that God does in creation. In the beginning, God creates the heavens and the earth is the first verse, second verse of the Bible. We're going to go through every verse of the Bible today, if that's all right. No. The second verse of the Bible says, the earth was formless and empty, and darkness covered the deep waters, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the surface of the waters theologians talk about the work that God does in creation. God takes chaos and creates order out of it. And what we do as human beings who have jobs, who have work, we're supposed to be something similar to that. So think about musicians. A lot of you are musicians, you have musical talent. What's music all about? A musician takes raw material of sound and sort of reorders it, rearranges it so that it becomes something Beautiful, beautiful song, beautiful piece of music. What about an entrepreneur? What do they do? They take raw material of ideas and concepts and human resources, and they rearrange all that to come up with a new product or goods and services that did not exist before. What about parents and teachers? You're working with your children, you're giving lessons, and you're helping them learn, you're drawing your child's potential out in a very real way. Teachers and parents are creating order out of chaos. And part of what this is all about is reflecting the image of this God, joy-filled God who loves to create, who loves to do that kind of work. Same is supposed to be true for you and for me. Work is not just about getting a paycheck, what, what we're paid to do. So there's this author, writer, uh, theologian, her name is Dorothy Sayers. I like the way she kind of sums up What is work about for people who are followers of Jesus? She says, work is the gracious expression of creative energy in the service of others. Of course, there's going to be benefits to us in the jobs that we do, the work that we have, but ultimately, work is this grace-filled, creative energy, and it ultimately becomes about how can I help the people around me, how can I serve the people around me, make the world a better place? So think about what that means. If you are a volunteer, if you are between careers, if you are retired, if you're a neurosurgeon, if you're a football player, if you're a doctor, what does this mean for you? All work is God's calling on our lives. All work has dignity. It satisfies something that God put inside us, part of what it means to be a human being. All work is good. And I can see you rolling your eyes and shaking your heads and these idealistic preachers get up there and they don't know anything about real work. I, I have to get up tomorrow morning, some of you are saying, and I have to go to a job that I absolutely hate. A, God that, a, a job that fills me with anxiety, a job that is sometimes hurtful, a job that disappoints me. And so that is true. Here's part of what I love about the Bible. The Bible does a really good job of saying, here's what God is up to. Here's the way God designed things to be. Here's the way God desires things to be. There's the ideal. And then there's this reality that a lot of us experience. That There's a gap between the reality of our lives and the ideal, that, the standard that God sets for us. So what do we do? And, and some of you are experiencing that gap. The Bible says, before sin enters the world, God is doing work and loving it. Human beings are doing work and love. Work exists in the Garden of Eden. Work exists in paradise. Work is a good thing, a God-created thing. And then something happens and work becomes problematic. After the fall of humankind, after sin, here's how the biblical writers talk about work. The ground is cursed because of you all your life. You will struggle to scratch a living from it. And some of you are saying, Can I get a witness? I mean, some of you, the 40 or 50 or 70 hours every week that you're at the job, this is your reality. It is a struggle. So, the good news here's the good news, right? The good news is the Bible doesn't just say, Here's what God wants and here's the problem, deal with it. The Bible says, Here's the solution. God is this creative force in this world. And when God looks over all the work of creation God does, what does he say? It is good. Jesus does redemptive work. That's his primary job on the cross. And when Jesus is done with all of that redemptive work, what does Jesus say? It is finished. It is finished. And so the work of God in our world is to take whatever is broken and hurting and not going the way it's supposed to be going, and God redeems it. And this is what God wants to do with the idea of work for some of us. How can God redeem work, redeem your job? That's what we want to spend the rest of our time together talking about. But before we do, I want to show you another clip from this movie. Um, Up in the air, George Clooney's character, his name is Ryan Bingham, And his job is to go around city to city, flying all over the country, going to different businesses who hire his firm to come in and fire their employees for them, do the dirty work for them. And he loves his job. He doesn't love the actual firing of people, but what he loves is all the benefits that he gets from, he he loves all the frequent flyer miles, loves all the hotel points he's piling up. And then one day he gets called into the corporate headquarters in Omaha, and they say, hey, we've got a new way of doing business. And he doesn't like this change that he's about to have to deal with. Take a look. Isn't technology a wonderful thing? Uh, Firing people from a distance. So when work is not redeemed, it's all about me, what's in it for me, how is this going to benefit me? When work is redeemed, it starts to be about serving others of course there'll be benefits for you along the way but primarily it's about how how can I help people how can I serve the world and so one of the ways to redeem work is to start viewing it as a mission now we have a mission here at hope reach out to the world around us share the everlasting love of Jesus Christ and on a pretty regular basis I try to remind you God gives you the freedom to actually carry out that mission whatever organization you are a part of wherever you spend your work week You don't have to be a pastor. You don't have to be on staff at a church. You don't have to be involved in some ministry for your work to be a mission. And I was reminded of this a couple of months ago. There's a guy who comes to our church. His name is Orv. And he stopped me after service uh, one day. And he said, Scott, he works for a construction uh, company in the Des Moines area. He said. I wondered if you could come and talk to our employees. And I was thinking, so the word is out, my carpentry skills and my, you know, love of tools. He wants me to come and demonstrate, just tinker a little bit probably, right? No, he wanted me to, um, they get their employees together, their team together every other month for a day of training, team building. And he wanted me to come and talk to them because in May they were going to be talking about the mission statement. He thought I might have something to say about it. The mission statement of this for-profit construction company in Des Moines. Here's what their mission statement says. To glorify God in all that we do. It's the basis behind all of our actions and decisions. God is our number one priority, followed by our families and finally our work. And they wanted me, a pastor, to come in and talk to these construction dudes. How do you glorify God when you're on a work site? How do you glorify God when you're ordering materials? In everything that you do, how can you do this in a way that glorifies God? And I thought, that's so cool. Now, it doesn't mean that everybody who works there has to be a Christian. It's not a requirement. That would be kind of ridiculous, probably illegal. Well, we require people to be Christians here. I don't know. Anyway, um, it does mean that they're, they're asking people, you know, if you want to work here, you got to understand up front, we try to do everything according to biblical principles and values. And when we have training for our employees, there's going to be biblical principles and values as part of that. And I thought, how cool. In this congregation, there's so many people who are in leadership positions, Wherever you work, whatever organization you're a part of, what if you started to leverage your influence to turn your workplace into more of a mission field? This is really important to us at Hope, and and, and it's a big deal for us, so much so that every year, as long as I've been here, we've been a host site for the Leadership Summit, the Global Leadership Summit. A a church in Chicago puts this on every year. It's going to be this Thursday and Friday at the West Des Moines campus and also at the downtown Hope Des Moines campus. For those of you who work downtown, that might work better for you. But all day long, those two days, they they just bring in world-class leaders in a variety of fields to inspire and challenge and equip you to be... Better leaders in in your workplace. Some of the faculty this year, Cheryl Sandberg, she's the chief operating officer at Facebook, recently wrote a book called Lean In that was a bestseller. Some of you probably read it. Angela Duckworth, I was introduced to her by someone from our congregation who works in the Ankeny school system. She's a professor at University of Pennsylvania. And she wrote a best-selling book called Grit, where they explore what is it that makes people, students in particular, successful. It's kind of a surprising conclusion that they come to from from their research. Bill Hybels and Andy Stanley, two of the favorite preachers that I like to listen to, and a whole host of others. If you can't make it this year, mark your calendars now for next year, August 8th and 9th, it's a Thursday and Friday, and bring your team, plan to bring your team to that. It would be a good thing for your entire organization, your staff. You'll be challenged, you'll get new language that you'll start to use and catchphrases and, and that sort of thing. Work becomes redeemed when we start to view it as our mission. And work becomes redeemed when we view it as spiritual formation. What do I mean by that? You know, hindsight is twenty twenty. but as people look back on the financial crash and the economic crisis around 2008, part of the conclusion they come to, why did it happen? Well, there was a deficit of ethics in the marketplace, in government, in all sorts of uh, sectors that kind of led to the crash. And so in response to that, a lot of business schools, you know, real prominent schools Harvard, Yale, Duke, Stanford, in their business schools and a lot of others, they're starting to insert ethics (laughs) into their coursework. And you would think, well, that seems like a no-brainer kind of common sense, but it's not as easy to accomplish as you might think. Uh, Rewind to 1987, Harvard Business School actually won a grant. They were awarded a grant in 1987, $20 million to start putting ethics into the curriculum of their classes, of that program. They brought in a guy, his name is Amitai Etzioni, a sociologist at George Washington University. He was a consultant to help them figure out how do they get ethics and values and morals into their their coursework. And they brainstormed all kinds of ideas for a year, and he kept getting resistance, resistance, resistance. Whether he was talking with economists or financial analysts or marketers, part of what they were saying was, look, What we teach our students is, here's how you package a small toy in a really big box so it feels bigger than it really is. Here's how you package things in really bright, vibrant colors because it it stimulates impulse buying. If you want us to start putting ethics into our courses, we're going to put people out of business. And that's the way a lot of people view it. It's an either-or. Either we can maximize profits for our shareholders or we can be ethical. Now, of course, for the church, for followers of Jesus... The goal isn't ethics or the bottom line. The goal is Jesus. Colossians chapter 3, verse 10 talks about how do we live out our lives every moment of our life. Put on your new nature. Be renewed as you learn to know your Creator and become like Him. And so the buzzword in church world these days is this is spiritual formation. How do our hearts and minds and, and behavior, how does that get formed to be more and more like Jesus all the time? So hopefully, hopefully, part of the reason you come to a worship service, part of the reason you read your Bible, part of the reason you pray or are in a small group or take a class or, or in programs in, in the church is for Christ to be formed in you. And all those things are good things. But most of your life is not actually spent at church, unless you're my kids. Most of your life is spent living your life. You're at home, you're at school, you're at work, and that's where Christ actually gets formed. Think about it. If you want patience to be formed in you, you can listen to a sermon about being patient, you can read a book about growing in patience, but... The, the place where you really grow in your patience is when the copy machine isn't working and you've got a deadline to meet. Or, you know, you keep getting these annoying memos from your boss or there's this email thread that's going out to the whole organization and you're just like, delete, 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 I didn't even read it. Or the guy in the office with coffee breath. You've got to learn to just deal with it. Give them a gift of some... Anyway, um, where do you learn Perseverance changing messy diapers and doing homework every day, not just waiting till the end of the semester and then trying to catch up with all of it. Well, dealing with kids who are crying. You saw in the Hope 360 video, in a couple of weeks there's going to be a parenting conference at Hope. It's going to have a lot of important uh, information and tools for you, be a good thing for you to go to, but then you apply it actually as you live your life with your kids. You all have spiritual formation opportunities. We have a six-year-old who bedtime routine is becoming a spiritual formation opportunity for us this summer. We can't wait for school to start back up, so she'll be exhausted and go right to sleep, I'm sure, right? (sighs) Anyway, work gets redeemed the more we view it as a vehicle for God to change us, God to shape us, God to form us. One final way that work can be redeemed... Work gets redeemed when we start to view it as worship. A lot of people get this one backwards. Um, They worship their work. That's not what we're talking about. A lot of times we think maybe the 70 minutes or so that we spend at church on the weekend, that's all worship is. But the Bible's pretty clear on this. Offer your bodies as living sacrifices. Whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all as a representative of the Lord Jesus. Worship's a lifestyle. So it's really important that we gather together and we worship together and it's important that we think about everything we do including our nine to five or whatever your job situation might be. That is worship. Evelyn Underhill says, worship is the response of the creature to the creator. Worship is the response of the creature to the creator. How do you respond to everything God has done for you? That's worship. So in a couple of minutes going to be time for communion, an opportunity for us to worship, to respond to God for all the good things that God has done for us to demonstrate His love for us. You Think think about what Jesus does. He's the Lord of Lords and He's the King of Kings. But how does Jesus come to us? He, He comes to us as a worker, doesn't He? A carpenter, a fisherman, a teacher, a doctor, healing people. Jesus comes to us as a social engineer, an architect of the new Jerusalem, the new temple. Jesus comes to us as a judge and an advocate. He comes to us as a caretaker of children. The most important work that Jesus does is on the cross. And because of the work that Jesus does on the cross, we have the opportunity to live a life of joy and meaning and purpose and fulfillment. And if that is not your reality, your experience, maybe today is a wake-up call for you. Maybe today's an opportunity of new birth for you, to ask yourself the question, what am I actually working for? For Those of you who are, are younger, high school, college age, you got your whole working career in front of you, what do you want to spend the next decade or four working for? George Clooney's character, Ryan Bingham, in this movie, Up in the Air, he's working for something. He wants to get 10 million frequent flyer miles. He'd be the seventh person in the history of the world to do that. He says to somebody one time, more people have walked on the moon than that. This is fantastic. He finally reaches his goal. And he finds it's not quite what he had been hoping it would be. Take a look. I don't know what you're working for, but might I offer a suggestion? What if you made a decision to start working for grace? To believe there's a God who loves you, died for you, wants the best for you. And so you you don't have to prove anything to anyone. You just figure out how that God wired you and go do that, go be that. It's going to change your reward system, your value system. It's going to change everything. Instead of working for a title or a position or a fully funded retirement account, as important as that might be when you start living for grace and working for grace you're going to realize there's a God who loves you and one day you get to stand in front of that God and because you believe in grace live your life that way that God's going to say to you one day well done good and faithful servant not because you're all that good or all that faithful but because God is